Welcome to Awaken Life Church podcast. For more information about our church, please visit awakenlifechurch.net. We hope you enjoy this message by Joy Willette. Where is your focus? So when, when we preach and when we teach and um, when we want to disciple people in Christianity, we don't want, okay, like the Lord says, you know, my thoughts are not your thoughts. But then he also says, my ways are not your ways, okay? So we want to walk in the ways of Jesus. What is his heart? What is it, the, what is the way that he thinks? What are his thought processes? That's what we want to get to. That's actually what renewing your mind looks like. It's not just changing it from this thing to that thing. It's a whole process of how do we process life? How do we enter into the kingdom? How do we do life with our family, with our children, in our jobs, and all those types of things? So the the question is, where is your focus? Because there's two different kingdoms and two different ways to think and process. And in the kingdom that we're probably most familiar with would be the kingdom of the earth, which is uh, the world, which would be works, striving, and performance. Works, striving, and performance. In the world, you got to work, you got to strive, you got to be perfect, you got to perform, and that's how you get ahead in the world, okay? And in the kingdom of heaven, it is rest, it's grace, and it's focusing on Jesus and what he did. Amen? And it's really counterintuitive. It is very different way to think, Okay, but we want to renew our mind to how God thinks. What is his economy? How do we get ahead in life and and things like that? We want to change to the mentality of Jesus. Okay, now this might be a message that you've heard before um, as far as works and striving. Maybe it's new to you, but we want to come out of the mentality and the mindset of I've got to work, I've got to strive, I've got to perform for God to love me, for me to be blessed, for me to do this, that, whatever, whatever, for me to get ahead in life, for me to earn this, for me to pray for the sick, for me to whatever it is, okay? We want to come out of that mentality and come into, no, actually Jesus performed it all and he performed it all perfectly because we couldn't and we want to rest in the finished work of Jesus. We want to rest in his grace and we want to set our eyes on him because he's the one that finishes the work, amen? It can be very counterintuitive and this is a process Because as you go about life, you have many opportunities to change that mindset everywhere you go. Let me tell you, it's something different to, uh, to lead worship at a church and be like, okay, you know, I've done this for a while and I can actually rest. Like Jesus actually does this. This is awesome. He always shows up. I could just get to sing and just be in his presence and it's awesome. And then God calls you to pastor a church and it's like, oh man, it's like it, you want to go back into that works mentality. Oh, I'm not worthy. I've got to work harder. I've got to think of great ideas and I've got it. Oh, it's, it relies on me. It all relies on me. And it's easy to come back into that mindset. Okay. And then you find your groove and it's like, no, actually it's all Jesus and we just follow Jesus we follow the fire and then guess what the church grows and then you're around other powerful leaders and you're you're peers with leaders that are leading stadium meetings and stuff and they're like yeah it's awesome we're gonna have this evangelism stadium meeting and I'm like I know that that's gonna be in our future at some point too and it's like works and striving and I'm not worthy and so it's just this process of constantly renewing our mind to the kingdom mentality when we're tempted to come back over here. And let me tell you, I'm in a process myself of learning to jump in the river quicker. I'm like, can I just jump in the river quicker? Okay. Like there's times that you encounter attack and you encounter different things. You know, the enemy is always going to bring resistance to you, but he's defeated. Amen. But he, he, shoots these fiery arrows. We were joking the other day. He shoots these fiery arrows at us. And I'm sitting here on the riverbank just like trying to blow out all the arrows. <laughs> like, where are all the arrows coming from? Ah, oh, this is terrible. What are we going to do? And it's like the river's right there. It's like, jump in the river. Just jump in the river. Jump in the river of his presence. He already took care of it all. And I myself am in a process of jumping in the river. That's always what we want to do. Come into his presence. We don't have to wait. We don't have to figure it out. He's there. Amen? Amen. So rest and grace and focusing on Jesus is something that we can mentally ascend to and be like, okay, yes, that is right. I can receive that. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus paid it all. He brought us near to him. It's something that we can mentally ascend to. But what if I ask you to lay hands on someone that's in a wheelchair? 
Now, where does your mentality of rest and grace and focusing on Jesus go? Because it's Jesus who heals. Amen? But what is that little thing that rises up that's like, not me. Someone more spiritual than me. Okay? Can I tell you there's no one more spiritual than you are? That we are all 100% spirit beings. Okay? The spirit realm is more real than anything that we can touch. This, all, this stuff is all a shadow of the real reality. Amen. There's no one more spiritual than you. There's no one that has more access to Holy Spirit than you. And he's the healer. So what is that little thing that goes, huh? When I'm like, how about you lay hands on someone in a wheelchair and pull them out of that wheelchair? Well, I'm not worthy. Well, I didn't do that. I don't know how to do that. I've never practiced. I don't, you know, where does our mindset go? Okay. So I just, I just want to challenge us in that because there's different levels of this. Okay. What if I ask you to prophesy to the person next to you? Some of you that might be old hat. Some of you that might be, well, at least I'm sitting next to someone I know. (laughs) Right? But it's Jesus who does it. And we look to Jesus, and he's the one that gives the word. It's actually easy if we're not striving. But when we strive, it makes it hard. Okay? So what if I ask you to prophesy to the person next to you? I don't know how to hear God. Right? Striving, striving, striving. I didn't pray enough. (laughs) I didn't read my Bible enough. Okay? Did you know that a child, a small child, can lay hands on the sick and they will recover? Someone who just recently got saved a second ago can lay hands on the sick and they can recover. Someone who's not even saved can lay hands on the sick and recover, and then they get saved because they see the miracle. (laughs) Amen? What if I ask you to prophesy to a stranger on the street? Right? We want to, to face what is that mentality that our, our mind wants to go to, our heart wants to go to, okay? What if I ask you to prophesy to the president? <gasps> Prophecy is easy. It's easy. It's easy. It comes from the Lord. He just speaks it and we just go, bleh. A donkey can do it. A donkey. <laughs> can do it, can prophesy, okay? It's not about the person. It's about the anointing on the person, okay? And again, I said it last time I preached, it's not hard to be anointed. Anointing comes from your proximity to his presence. So jump in the river, get in the river, be near him. There's no reason to wait. You don't need to clean up. Just get in the river, be in his presence, The anointing comes from being in his presence. Holiness comes from being in his presence. A cloth can be anointed. So can we. Amen? What if I tell you you're called to start a business that employs thousands? (sighs) But I don't know. But Jesus is going to do it. If he's called you to it, he's going to do it. He's faithful to complete the work that he's called you to. Amen? And you don't have to strive. Are we going to put our hands to do things? Absolutely. But it's from a position and a state of rest and peace and just following what he's telling us to do. Amen? So I had a dream the other day, and um, it's just one of those funny, funny dreams that the Lord gives. It's kind of like a little mirror of like, hey, this is what you look like to me right now. But um, my husband was in the dream, but my husband in this dream represents Jesus. So that's a big compliment to you. But, uh, but his personality was different. Sometimes your, your husband, sometimes your father in a dream can represent Father God, um, but their personality is different. You can tell that it's not exactly the personality of that person. So he took me by the hand and he, lead, he led me to our vehicle and he was driving our vehicle and it just felt like our, like our van. And we're driving and then suddenly I realized that it's a cockpit and we're flying. And he's going so fast. And I, like a side seat driver wife, look at him and I'm like, aren't you going a little fast? And I'm like looking to see, are we buckled? You know, whatever. And, um, and he starts kind of laughing at me and I start laughing because I'm like, oh, there's no speed limits in the sky. <laughs> and that was, that was pretty much the dream. And so I'm like, okay, so Lord, what are you trying to tell me? He wants to go faster than I want to go. 
and I'm a little nervous, and he knows where he's going. I had no idea where we were going, but he was confident he knew where we were going, and I'm like, okay, but that's really silly that we need to slow down because there's no speed limit in the sky. Can I tell you that there's no limits in the glory realm? There is no limits in the spirit. There is no obstacles in the spirit. You don't have to worry about how fast you're going in the sky because there's nothing for you to crash into, right? Okay? There's no obstacles in the glory realm. There's no obstacles in the spirit. Okay? So we can go as fast as he wants to go, except that we're the ones trying to hold on to what we think is normal, what we think is safe. Right? But he's empowering us. And he's empowering us to think higher than that. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above and not on the things of the earth. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. So Luke 12.32 says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not. So when you have that little, oh, could I do that? Fear not. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What's the kingdom? Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. Is there sickness in the kingdom? No. Is there depression in the kingdom? Is there stress in the kingdom? No. What is the kingdom like? It's peaceful. It's restful. It's provision. It's inheritance. It's identity, it's all of these things, and it's his good pleasure to just give it to us. We make it so much harder. We make it so much harder, and he doesn't make it hard. Amen? So yeah, so I, you know, we're, we're looking at uh, planning a conference and stuff, and we're talking with some different guest speakers, and it's just awesome to just be talking to other people, like iron sharpens iron, and it's like, wow, like the different things that people putting their hands to, and like the miracles that they're seeing and stuff like that, and so after talking with these people, it's kind of like, I don't know, like you get around some of these people, it's like, am I even saved? I don't know, like I, they're like witnessing on the street, and like thousands are coming to know the Lord, and it's just like, ah, it's like, it's awesome, because it's like iron sharpens iron. But then that little thing wants to rise up of like, oh, I don't know if I could do that, right? So I was struggling with unworthiness, and I was struggling with comparison. Anyone relate? Mm-hmm. So I was comparing myself to other powerful men and women of God. And the Lord just started speaking to me, and he said, who told you that you had to be worthy of the kingdom? Who told you that you had to be worthy of the kingdom? It's like it's the wrong paradigm. It's not even in the right realm of thinking. Because remember, over here is the world, work, striving, performance. But that is not the currency of the kingdom. The kingdom over here is rest, grace, and Jesus doing it. So where does worthiness belong in this picture? It doesn't. Jesus is the one that was worthy. He's the one that paid the price. Amen? So our focus needs to be on him. The Lord spoke to me. He said, who told you that you had to be worthy of the kingdom? Who told you that you had to be worthy of healing? Who told you you had to be worthy of his presence? Who told you you had to be worthy of anointing? It's the wrong question to begin with. It is the wrong question. Worthiness is a big old fat lie. It's a lie. Okay? Did you have to be worthy of salvation? That sounds absolutely ridiculous, doesn't it? Okay? When you were yet a sinner and you were his enemy, Christ died on a cross for you. That is the gospel message. So all you needed to do to get saved was say, I'm a sinner. Help me. Jesus, I need you. You're my lamb. Done. You're saved. He died on a cross because you had sin. Because he already knew. Right? He already knew that you were sinful. So there is no way for you to earn salvation. That's why he saved you, because you needed saving, okay? Can I tell you part of that salvation package is healing. Part of that salvation package is authority. Part of that salvation package is freedom and deliverance. And there is no level of earning any more than there is a level of earning the salvation to begin with. Amen? Who told you you had to be worthy of healing? Well, the great miracles are for people who are super spiritual and better than me and destined for great things. No, who told you that? Amen? Who told you that? It's all part of the salvation package. So as the Lord was talking to me, I said, hey, Lord, wait a minute. 
Have you heard this one? <laughs> what about the scripture that says that we have to walk worthy of the Lord? And I was like, because that one kind of scares me a little bit. So I'm like, you're going to have to talk to me about that one. So what does that mean for us to have to walk worthy of the Lord? And so um, I, I looked it up, and the Lord started talking to me. And uh, if we could put up on this, this screen, we're going to address unworthiness. Colossians 1, 1 to 13, if we've got it. Do, do, do. There we go. Uh, Colossians 1, 1 to 14. Um, this, uh, in Colossians 1, 10 is where it says, um, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Okay, so this is the scripture. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So this letter is written to the church at Colossae, Okay. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith. Someone said, heard of your faith. In Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Someone say they had love for all the saints. Okay. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Someone say they understood the grace of God. Someone say their fruit was uh, being born and increasing. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our, our beloved fellow bondservant, who was a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. Again, they're being credited for their great love. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us, someone said qualified us, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, for he rescued us, someone said rescued us, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us, someone say we've been transferred, <laughs> to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins, okay? So he's telling them, we are praying for you that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, when you take a look at that, the first thing that you think is, man, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, I gotta, I gotta clean up my act. I've got to straighten myself out. I've got to be worthy of God. Okay? Looking it up in the Greek when it says walk. Walk means to make due use of opportunities. To progress. Okay? So he's saying, I want you to make due use of the opportunities. Okay? I want you to make due use of the opportunities that you've been given in Christ. Okay, you want to make progress, you want to make your way, okay? Now, if it's talking about walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, let me tell you what it's not talking about. It can't be talking about sin because it says that you guys once were sinning and now you've been redeemed and you've been set free, okay? It can't be that they don't have enough faith because he's telling them, we've heard of your faith, we've heard of your love, okay? He says, you've been forgiven, They've been forgiven of their sins. They've been transferred into the kingdom of the beloved son. Okay? So what exactly is it that they're missing? Because there's, it's not a correction of, oh, you guys are messing up. He even says, you guys are bearing fruit, and the fruit is increasing. It's awesome. And so yet they're praying, we want you to walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. So walking worthy of the Lord means acting in a way that shows how worthy and able and gracious and strong the Lord is. How awesome he is. Walk in a manner, pro pro progress in your life 
in a manner that is worthy of everything that Jesus did for you, that's worthy of the fact that he's empowered you and he's taken your sin away from you, that he has uh, forgiven you of everything, that he's translated you into his kingdom, that he's given you faith and he's given you this ability to love. He's already increasing and, and, and you're going to bear fruit in him, but it comes from him. Amen? Does this make sense? Okay, so how do we walk in a, in a manner worthy of the Lord? We want to put our trust in his worthiness. Looking to God's infinite worth for our help and satisfaction is walking worthy of God. Now here's the trap. People are trying to be worthy enough to come into his presence. That's the trap. It's a lie. It's a lie of the enemy. Because the only thing that empowers you is coming into his presence. The only thing that empowers you to live righteously is coming into his presence. You will never be able to clean yourself up enough to be able to be worthy of getting in his presence. He already did it. How many of you read up there? It says that he qualified us. He already qualified us. There is no question of worthiness. So proceed in your life receiving all that he's done for you, which means that there's nothing to fear, which means there's no reason we should shrink back there is nothing for us to be like, oh, gosh, well, I'm, I'm missing this and that. We're actually lacking nothing. So walk in a manner that shows that. Amen? Not shrinking back from him. People fall into the trap of trying to be worthy to come into his presence. I don't deserve to be in his presence because I X, Y, Z or because I don't X, Y, Z. Okay? Again, the kingdom of heaven is different. In the kingdom of earth, it's all about doing in the kingdom of heaven, it's all about believing. What is it that you believe? If you believe right, you will do right. If you're trying to do, 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 you're going to watch your faith start falling because you can't do it in your own strength. Amen? Walking worthy of his presence means getting in his presence, jumping in the river boldly and believing that he is able. Walking aware of his presence just like the Ark of the Covenant. Those of you that were here the last time I preached, we talked about the Ark of the Covenant. And remember how uh, David had actually disobeyed by putting it in an ox cart and letting it be pulled when it's supposed to be held on men's shoulders, okay? There is uh, a picture of unity there in people coming together and, and lifting up the name of Jesus, lifting up the presence of God. But when you're holding this, and we talked about it's like 516 pounds, uh, Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God. And then in the scripture, it said that God was actually helping them to lift it, okay? But when you're lifting the presence of God like this, you have to walk in a way where you're aware of the presence of God constantly, amen? That's how we're called to walk. This is a manner that's worthy of everything that he did for us, is just walking, holding his presence. It's not hard. He actually helps us. It's not striving. It's not work, it's actually wonderful, and as we're doing this, we're getting filled up with his presence, getting filled up with his joy, his strength. Amen? That's what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It's not about behavior. It's all about are we entering into his presence? Are we aware of his presence and everything that he did? All right. Now, the cool thing is in that scripture in Colossians, because I'm, I'm a teacher, so I have to you know, study it all out and be like, well, does it really go on to say that we're not worthy or whatever? So the very next thing it talks about, okay, we've heard of your faith. It's awesome. You've got love. You've got the works happening. And we're praying that you're going to walk in this manner, accepting everything that Jesus did for you. And then the very next section that comes up is Colossians 1, 15 to 23. Colossians 1, 15 to 23 goes on and says that Jesus forgave your sins. And then it says, and now Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Amen? 
For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he now has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless. Someone said holy and blameless. Okay, we're holy and blameless because of what Jesus did. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Okay, so the very next breath when he's saying you need to walk in a manner worthy of the presence of God, he says, and by the way, Jesus is your focus. And look at all there is to know about Jesus. Okay, when I was struggling with comparison, okay, the Lord showed me this scripture and that the title of this whole paragraph right here is called the incomparable Christ, the incomparable Christ. Okay, so if you're struggling with comparing yourself to someone else, you're in the wrong realm. It's not even the right paradigm. Compare Christ. Can anything compare to Christ? Can anything compare to him? We want to look to Jesus and not look to ourselves, and then we will be encouraged. Amen? Look to Jesus. How do we walk worthy of God? Meditate on his goodness. Meditate on his goodness, not on your goodness. You don't need to look at your resume. (laughs) Meditate on his goodness. How do we walk worthy of God? Meditate on Christ. Who is he? Who's Jesus? That will build your faith. Okay, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's firstborn of all creation. All things are created by him in the heavens and the earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. They were all created through him and for him. So every principality, every giant scary thing you've ever thought of or imagined, invisible, visible, planets, galaxies, they were all created by King Jesus and they were all created for him. Amen. Anyone starting to get encouraged in here? Christ is before all things and he holds everything together. Did you know that there is something that they call the Colossae force because it comes from Colossians? They don't know what else to call it, but it doesn't make sense why atoms even hold together. They should all split apart the way they're designed. Okay, they call it the Colossae force because of the scripture that says Jesus is holding everything together. If it weren't for Jesus, we would all simultaneously explode. That's how powerful he is, and somehow he's holding us all together. Anyone getting encouraged, okay? Do you think he's capable (laughs) of bringing you to your calling and the things that you're called to put your hands to? He's the head of the church. He's the beginning and the end. He's the alpha and omega. He is the great I am. Amen? He has first place in everything. God was pleased to have the fullness dwelling in him. And to reconcile all things to himself through him. He's the holy lamb of God that was slain. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's our bridegroom. He's our source. He's our advocate, our lawyer. He's your peace. He's your savior. And he's your hero. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. You don't even have to come up with enough faith on your own. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. Amen. He loves you as much as God the Father loves him. As much as God the Father loves his perfect, beloved, only begotten son is how much Jesus loves you. You are in him and he is in you. Amen? And as the scripture says, as he is, so are we in this world. As he is. He is holding everything together. He is massively powerful. He is anointed above and his name is Jesus Christ, anointed one. He lives inside of you. Amen? Is there anything that he can't do? Is there anything that you can't do? Not in him. Amen. As he is, so are you in this world. Believe that he can do amazing things through you. It's not a question of your worthiness. Okay? So can you prophesy to your neighbor? Can you prophesy to a stranger? Because it's Jesus inside of you. He's holding the whole world together. He can prophesy to someone. Pretty easy, okay? 
can you pull someone out of a wheelchair and see them healed by your hand? Yep. Can you prophesy to the president? If God has called you to it, can you lead a Fortune 500 company? Amen. It's because of him. Meditate on him, his goodness. The Lord told me, you keep comparing yourself. He said, if you knew how much I love you and all that I've placed inside of you, you would never measure yourself by someone else. So who told you you had to be worthy of healing? The devil. <laughs> who told you that you had to be worthy of his presence? That's just ridiculous. He moved heaven and earth and sent his only son to die for you because he wanted to be near you. There is nothing more you need to do but just jump in the river. Amen. Jump in the river. He welcomes you with open arms. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. One of the greatest robbers of our faith is when we think that our faith has anything to do with our performance. Even our performance of faith. I don't want to put my faith in my faith. My faith is in Jesus. Amen. All right. I want to talk to you about a story that the Lord highlighted to me that I'd never really paid attention to before, um, but it's about uh, Jonathan and the honey. So um, if you're familiar with the story, there's King Saul, and King Saul is a terrible king. Actually, um, the Lord approached the children of Israel and said, I want to be your king. And they said, mm, you're kind of scary. We want a human king, just like all the other nations. And he says, no, seriously, you don't want that king. And he gives them all kinds of warnings. I know this is kind of like the valley girl breakdown of this story, but let's just do this quickly so we don't have to look at all the scriptures, but you can read it later, okay? And so he's like, no, it's actually going to be really bad. Like, your children will be enslaved. You do not want a human king. And they said, yeah, no, but we do. And so here comes Saul. And, and Saul's name actually means, like, you asked for it. <laughs> and so here comes Saul. He's a horrible king. Um, he is very insecure. That's uh, Insecurity and leadership is one of the most painful things to be under. Um, but uh, he does not follow the Lord. He has this form of religiousness, but he has not the relationship with the Lord. And, um, and it's very oppressive being under him. So Jonathan is his son. And um, in this particular story, and it's in uh, 1 Samuel 14, um, Jonathan actually snuck out of the camp because he wanted to just, like, test his faith. So he and just one armor bearer went into the camp of the Philistines, and he prayed, and he's like, Lord, I want you to give them into my hand. If they say this to me, then that means you're giving them into my hand. So then he goes into their, into their camp, and they say the very thing that he said, and he's like, yes, the Lord's given them. And so just two men, like, defeat this whole company, and then everyone gets excited, and so the rest of the army comes and joins, and they win this great battle against the Philistines. And it's, it's amazing, and it's this great day, okay? And so let's, let's put up on the screen what happens, 1 Samuel 14, 23 to 30. All right. Now, uh, okay, so verse 23, I'll just read it. Um, verse 23 says, so the Lord delivered Israel that day, and the battle spread beyond Beth-Avon, salt, and uh, Spread beyond Beth Avon, okay? So the Lord delivered Israel that day. That should be happy news, right? Yay, the Lord delivered Israel. This is huge victory, okay? So then what happens? Saul comes in. Now the men of Israel were hard-pressed. The very next sentence is, is the result of Saul, okay? Now the men of Israel were hard-pressed on that day, for Saul had put the people under oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food before evening, and until I have avenged myself on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. All the people of the land entered the forest, and there was honey on the ground. When the people entered the forest, behold, there was a flow of honey. Someone say, flow of honey. But no man put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard when his father put the people under oath. Therefore, he put out the end of the staff or rod that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his eyes brightened. Then one of the people said, your father strictly put the people under oath saying, cursed be the man who eats food today. And the people were weary. Then Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. See now how my eyes have brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more if only the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found. For now the slaughter among the Philistines has not been great. 
okay? So Saul puts out this order and he says, cursed is anyone who eats anything before evening until I have had my vengeance on my enemies, okay? Number one, was that from the Lord? No, he didn't even consult the Lord. Number two, are we supposed to take vengeance on our enemies? No, it's actually very prideful. He didn't do anything in the glory, the name of the Lord. He didn't go on his own personal fast and say, no, I'm fasting until I see this victory. No, he put this curse on all the people and said, you guys are, and he put this weight, okay? Can I tell you, that's what religion does. That's what legalism does. It puts a weight on the people when they should be celebrating the victory, when they should be partaking of the goodness of the Lord. It puts a weight on them and makes them weary. Amen? We need to overcome the spirit of Saul. We need to overcome the spirit of legalism, the spirit of religion. The spirit of religion is not your friend. It is not helpful at all. The spirit of condemnation is not helpful, not even a little bit. The spirit of fear is not helpful, not even a little bit. Amen? Jonathan even says they would have won even a greater victory against the Philistines had it not been for his prideful command. Now, there was honey flowing on the ground. What does that sound like, to have honey flowing? Didn't God promise them a land flowing with milk and honey? And he promised that was the land of Judea. That was the land. And it's flowing with honey. There's literally honey and honeycomb on the ground. What does that represent? The provision of the Lord. Psalm 34, 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste of his goodness, taste of his presence. Be refreshed, be filled. It says that his eyes brightened. There's revelation. It represents the word of God, the sweetness of his presence. And law and legalism and Saul, they don't want people to taste that. Amen? It wants to put works on you. No, you won the victory, now you gotta work harder. We, we need to partake of the sweetness of the Lord so we can be refreshed. His, it says his whole countenance changed as he partook of the honey. It was God's provision. It's part of their inheritance. But works, law, and religion does not want us to just simply inherit. Works, law, and religion wants us to work for something that's already ours. So Jonathan dipped his rod, and it says a staff, some translations say rod. He wasn't a shepherd, um, so he was actually holding a rod. Um, he dips his rod in the honey, and then he puts his hand to his mouth, and he eats the honey. What does that represent? Um, a rod, if you look at in the word, a rod represents discipline, okay? Like you withhold your rod from your child, or like the rod of discipline. His staff comforts me, his rod and his staff. There's this uh, coming in and gathering, but also this correction that comes, okay? Rod represents discipline. Our discipline needs to be used to taste and see the goodness and the provision of the Lord. That's our discipline, okay? There is this legalism thing that looks really spiritual, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to abate myself. I'm going to punish myself. No, I don't get to celebrate. I'm going to withhold the goodness of God from myself until this perfection happens. It looks spiritual, but it's not. We actually need to be filled up on the goodness of God. Amen. That's what our discipline is used for, to come into his presence and partake of our inheritance. Amen. That's what will refresh us. That's what will brighten our eyes. Brighten our eyes is revelation. It's prophecy. Amen. The sweetness of the Lord. We have to be filled up. This is our discipline. We need to get filled up. Just like a car needs gas. You got to go to the gas station. We got to jump in the river. We got to get filled up. Filled up with his presence. And there is no obstacle and there's nothing stopping us. And there's nothing we have to work or try to earn to be in his presence. We just get to taste and see how good he is. Amen. but you might have to break some traditions of man to do it. Amen? It wasn't sinning. Saul actually called it sin. He said, who is this that sinned? That, that commandment didn't come from the Lord. It wasn't sin to partake of what God had provided. Amen? So then what happens? The next thing is that the people are starving so much 
that they start slaughtering calves and cattle and oxen, and they start eating the meat and the blood with the meat. Okay? That's actually against the commandment of the Lord. At that time, the Lord said, do not eat the blood with the meat. You're supposed to drain the blood out because life is in the blood. Um, you don't partake of that. You just eat the meat, and, it, and it's a special way. But they were so starving, being under control, being under religion, being under law and legalism and works and performance, that they actually sinned because of that. Because they were starving. And they needed the goodness of the Lord. They needed his presence. They needed to partake of his word. Legalism and law and control and all that stuff will cause people to sin. It does not help. We think that this is going to stop people from sinning. It doesn't. The strength of sin is the law. You want people to sin more? Show them the law. Amen? It actually caused them to be disobedient, to be under that level of control. They were trying to get life and energy from their own works. What does cattle and oxen represent? We talked about this last time. Works. Their work, their labor animals. Oxen are labor animals. And they're trying to eat the blood and the meat. They're trying to get life and energy from their works. And it doesn't work. Amen. It will never work. Their eyes did not brighten. It didn't say anything about their countenance changing or them being refreshed. Amen? It just caused them to disobey the Lord. Mark 7, 8 talks about this. It says, uh, people are teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You hold to man's traditions and you disobey God, is what the Lord says. We think legalistic rules will keep people from sinning, but the opposite is true. We put Colossians 2.23 up. Colossians 2.23 says, These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Someone say, no value. There is no value in law and legalism and works and striving and perfection. It's like, no, celebrate, celebrate the victory, celebrate what the Lord has done, celebrate his provision. The Lord wants to party. <laughs> he even says, he's like, I'm crying out, who's going to party with me? No one wants to party with me. Come on in, come to the banquet, right? The spirit of Saul does not want us to celebrate progress, doesn't want to celebrate victory, and doesn't want people to partake of the goodness of the Lord. So you might have to break some traditions of man to taste and see that the Lord is good. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Under religion, legalism, and performance, the people are hard-pressed, they're weary, they can't celebrate, and it actually makes them rebellious. So then what happens is that Saul calls out his son, he eventually figures it out what happens, and then he says, well, my son's just gonna have to die because he sinned and he disobeyed that command. And he was willing to kill his own son because of some stupid prideful command that he made and he wasn't willing to back down from it. Can I tell you, that's not the heart of God. Like he, he cares more about the fact that, um, that people are spilling the blood of animals but the blood of his son doesn't actually matter to him because he wants to keep that prideful rule. Um, the, the spirit of Saul is, is religion without relationship. It's a lack of love, it's a lack of relationship, and it's not the heart of God. That's why the Lord says, I'm going to raise up a king, I'm going to raise up a, a man after my own heart, and that's David. Yeah. Yeah, the spirit of Saul wants you distressed, wants you to never rest, don't enjoy the spoils of war. It's religion with no relationship. And you might need to break the traditions of man to taste and see that the Lord is good. There's a lot of crazy traditions of man. Like people being held back and feeling like they're going to hell because they wear pants and things like that. And it's like, oh, people have gotten so far away from the heart of God and what it is that he was saying and what he was always saying and how he wanted to be near his people. And we try and break it down to, did you do this or did you do that? 
Can I tell you that the kingdom is about what do you believe, not what you do, okay? There's a lot of people that can walk the walk and talk the talk, and their heart is far away. It's not about what you do. It's about what you believe. And when you believe right, you will do right. But doing on its own is not enough. And the Lord says, even Matthew 7, to 23, he says, they'll come to me in the last days and say, Lord, didn't we do all these things for you? And he's like, I didn't know you. Okay, we don't want to do things without relationship. We want to stay in the mentality of, no, it's about what Jesus did. It's the good news. It's grace. It's what he did for us. Amen. We're going to do great works empowered by Jesus' finished work and by the Holy Spirit. Amen. We absolutely will. He's going to show us what to put our hands to, and there's a grace on it, and there's an anointing, and there's an ease, and it's like, ah, oh, things just happen. Amen? We're not going to be empowered by, um, by his work in the Holy Spirit if we do the great works. We're going to do great works by being empowered by him. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, I was reminded, I was, I was reading uh, last week, I was just reading around like the Easter story. I'm like, Lord, make this new for me because I don't ever want it to just be like, oh, I know the story. Uh, you know, it's like, I, I'm just like, make this new for me. Show me something new in the Easter story. So I was reading um, last Sunday morning and he highlighted to me um, how he told Peter um, the way he was going to die. Remember how he's like, he, Peter is like, he's like, uh, Peter, do you love me? And he's like, yes, Lord, I love you. And he says, Peter, do you love me? He's like, yes, Lord, I love you. And like, he's feeling terrible because remember he denied Christ three times and now he's asking him point blank, do you love me? And he does it three times to restore him, amen? And he's like, feed my sheep. And then the very next thing he says is he says, one day when you're old, someone's gonna lead you where you don't wanna go. And by that, he was prophesying the way that Peter would die. Now that sounds really scary if you're thinking in this realm over here <laughs> of work learning, oh, he didn't perform right and so now he's gonna die like that. Sorry, Peter, right? But no, actually what the Lord was doing is he was restoring him, okay? He was saying, no, I'm, I'm restoring you because now he, he had breathed the Holy Spirit on them, amen? He had finished the work and he says, now empowered by Holy Spirit, now empowered by my finished works and not your devotion to me, now you're gonna be able to stand up for me. And you're gonna stand up to me so much that you actually are gonna die for me. You remember when Peter was, was telling Jesus, Jesus was like, someone's going to betray me. And Peter's like, no, it's not me. I would never do that. I would never, I would die for you. Remember when he prophesied that? I would die for you. And Jesus says, you're not even going to make it till the end of the day without pretending that you don't know me. But that's in your own strength. In your own strength, in your own works, in your own devotion, you can't make it. But empowered by Holy Spirit and the finished work of Jesus you will be willing to lay your life down for the Lord, empowered by him, because there's grace, there's ease, and he's empowering you to do it. Amen? Amen. So Jesus was actually honoring Peter and telling him, actually, I'm proud of you. Like, you actually are going to die for me the way you said that you would. Amen? Jesus is so good. But it's in Jesus' strength so I just want to share with you, God is so big. Someone say, God is so big. <laughs> the enemy is so small. <laughs> oh, and by the way, defeated. Okay. Oh, and by the way, disarmed. Okay. We have a big, huge God. All the fullness is in him. He's holding everything together and he's living on the inside of you. It is not about your worthiness. Okay, let me just prophesy to you that every plan of the enemy is going to backfire, backfire against him. The Lord showed me a dream many years ago, and it was a snake wrapped around my wrist, and then the snake went, it was poised to strike me, and he went to strike, and I, I flinched, and I looked away, but then when I looked back, he had actually bitten himself. And that's my promise from the Lord, that every time the enemy goes to try and strike me, and I prophesy that to you, every time he goes to strike you, he backfires on himself, and you're actually going to take more ground than you would have had he not tried to strike you. Because that's how big God is. That's how big Jesus is inside of you. And the enemy's already defeated. Enemies already defeated. Even the principalities and the powers were created by Jesus and for Jesus. You don't think he can use them? <laughs> Amen. 
Amen. God is good. He is good. He's good. So I just prophesy to you that you are going to jump in the river of God's presence quicker. Amen. That you're not going to sit looking around like, where are those fiery darts coming from? You're just going to jump in the presence of God because your protection is there. Amen. Every attack of the enemy against you is illegal in Jesus' name. We're going to jump in the river. We're not going to wait. We're going to meditate on the goodness of God, and we're going to let that goodness brighten our eyes and refresh our countenance. We're going to remember everything that Jesus is, and I just declare right now that there are no limits in the Spirit. There are no limits in the Spirit. So right now, I break every shackle off every mind, every lie of the enemy that's tried to twist up like weeds around people's dreams and say, no, that's impossible. No, not for you. No, you couldn't handle that much money. You couldn't handle that much blessing. You couldn't handle that much leadership or authority or whatever it is. You couldn't handle that much anointing. We cut that off right now in the name of Jesus. And I declare there is no limits, no limits that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us because he's living on the inside. He's already paid every price and we're gonna give him everything that he paid for by walking in a manner worthy of who he is because he did it all. So we don't need to shrink back. So I just break off every level of shrinking back right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we're gonna walk out what you're calling us to walk out and we're gonna do it in your strength, in your ease, in your grace, in in your rest, in your peace, in the name of Jesus. I cut off every spirit of soul right now. I break every spirit of religion right now in the name of Jesus. We cut off condemnation right now. I declare your past has been erased and deleted in the name of Jesus. It is under the blood. It is under the blood and nothing is holding you back. Every accusation that was against you was taken away and nailed to the cross. There is no hindrance. There is no obstacle in the spirit. We declare that truth to every person's spirit in this place in Jesus' name. And we just thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.